You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Listen, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Skip the Small Talk. Now, before we jump into it, I got to say this. How many of you would say you're good at small talk? Well, there's a few of you. Okay. Now, everybody always whines and goes on about how they don't like small talk. I think small talk's critically important because how awkward would most of our gatherings be if no one was good at small talk? You ever had that friend in your life that you talk to and they give you nothing back? Like, it's just kind of like, uh, okay, I'll ask you another question. You'll give me a one-word response. Like, I always want to say, for everyone who's good at small talk, thank you. Thank you for contributing to the flow. Thank you for contributing to uh, eliminating some of those awkward moments when we are in family gatherings and little conversations in the lobby or here or wherever it might be. You kind of jump in and you help keep things moving. So thank you. But even as I say that, let's admit that small talk is like it's not critical talk, right? I like this definition of small talk. Useless an unnecessary conversation attempted to fill the silence in an awkward situation. So, I mean, while small talk can be useful, most of the content of small talk is useless, right? And of course, in Canadian culture, we have a lot of stuff that we can use as small talk. I mean, weather is a great small talk item. Some of you come from nations around the world where weather's fairly consistent day to day. Canada, you never know what you're gonna get. So there's a great opportunity for small talk. How about living in the city of Toronto? Traffic, 401, how was your commute? How was your drive? How was it, what was it like? It rained a little bit. How, what was it like? Delays, you know, small talk. Uh, temperature, I love Canadians with temperature. I love Torontonians. In the, middle of the wind, in the middle of the summer, it's like, Toronto's just too hot. And then it's in the middle of winter, and it's just like, Toronto's too cold. And there's like one perfect day a year where nobody complains, but we can't figure out what day that is. But, you know, that's another part of small talk. Or the price of gasoline is another area of small talk. It's useless. It's useful in terms of keeping conversations going, but it's really useless information, right? Now, here's the thing with small talk. Prayer can easily become small talk, especially in circles like a church. Uh, Sometimes prayer becomes a social thing you say to someone. If you're not careful, you can become like this guy. I'm praying for you. Whoa! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Your prayer list bandwidth has exceeded its limit. Uh, praying for you? Uh... Okay, this happens all the time. It's almost cliche. People walk around, they see people, they meet people, especially in, in church communities like this, and they're like, hey, praying for you, praying for you. But really, if you're honest about the bandwidth of your prayers, praying for yourself, that doesn't happen. (laughs) Let alone praying for you, praying for you, praying for you. Here's what we want to do in this series. We want to eliminate the small talk. 
We're, it's our hope, Pastor Keith and I, he's away teaching in Guelph this weekend, but he'll be back next weekend. It's our hope that we're going to help you move from small talk and praying and talking to God to real talk. And here's our commitment to you. Uh, we're not going to talk about prayer in some high platitudes. I'm going to be brutally honest today in a way that might make you feel uncomfortable because we're going to have real talk about what prayer is and what it means. Because have you noticed, if you think about it, take a step back from prayer and think about how strange it is. Natalie, who is just on keyboard, she led us in prayer, and you instinctively, many people in this room, kind of closed their eyes when she started praying and even bowed their head. And she talked to the air, and we all thought that was normal. And the reason we do, listen, most Canadians do too. You know, in fact, 70% of Canadians in a 2016 Angus Reid poll said that they prayed. And of those 76 or 70%, it was interesting, 86% of Canadians in the Angus Reid poll said that, that they, they thought prayer was beneficial. Even people who are non-religious in nature, they thought prayer was beneficial. 70% of the 70% who prayed said they pray when they have a need. 71%, which surprised me, said they prayed when they, to God to give thanks for things. That surprised me a little bit. So if you're hearing you're not even religious, chances are at some point in the time, you have talked to God because that's what prayer is. Prayer is either a group of people or an individual talking to God. That's what prayer is. And we do it at different times for different reasons. In Canadian culture, when they're surveyed, many people pray in times of need. And listen, if we're to be honest, and you look over your shoulder, there's probably many occasions where you engaged in prayer, and it was really in your darkest moment you did. Now, the Latin word, the word prayer comes from a Latin word, precarios, where we get the English word precarious. Prayer it's kind of framework. We're made in those precarious moments in our life to want to talk to God. This is a natural extension of the way we've been wired. It's embedded in our word. Some people in Canadian culture, they pray. They don't even believe something will happen with prayer, but it produces inner peace inside of them. When they're going through turmoil, they have said statistically, they just feel calmer, more centered is the word they'd use. For many people, and probably many in this room, we pray out of religious devotion. The Bible actually says things. The Bible says things like this, devote your, never stop praying, or devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So for many people who are Christians, they pray because God told them to. But friends, if you're gonna understand prayer, especially as you understand it through the lens of what is taught in the Bible or taught by Jesus, you've gotta understand that prayer might be the single most important life hack in your life. It might be the single most important thing to spiritually, emotionally being able to connect to God. It is certainly, if you believe the Bible, what it says, prayer is foundational to experiencing God's power in you and through you. In fact, there are many different things in scripture when it talks about supernatural power, and some of the words are pretty staggering. Listen, I'm going to read some outrageous claims to you, okay? Just outrageous claims. But the first couple are going to come from the person of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says this. I tell you, you can pray for, can you say it with me? Anything. What do you think that means in the Greek? This was originally written in the Greek language. What do you think that word anything means? Anything. Anything. You can pray for anything. Anything. And if you believe that you've received, it will be yours. 
Jesus would go on and he'd say something like this. In one of his biographies written about him in the Bible, there's four of them, he says this, Jesus' words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, can you say it with me? Receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, other parts of the Bible make the same. I mean, outrageous claims, right? Outrageous claims. It says this in 1 John chapter 5. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests. Note that. Every time you talk, whether you feel God is listening, it says he hears you. So 100% of the times we talk to God, he hears us. And we also know that God will give us what we ask for. It says this in James chapter 5. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So friends, the words of Jesus and the words of the Bible say prayer is pretty awesome. That prayer is incredibly powerful. But if I ask for some honesty from you today, let me honestly ask you this. Does your personal experience with prayer match these promises in the Bible? Because for me, it doesn't. I haven't always experienced prayer that way. I haven't always felt prayer that way. Prayer is powerful and effective and worth doing in theory, but in practice, at times, it feels impotent. I've had moments where I have struggled in my spiritual life because prayer has been confusing to me. Moments where it's been frustrating. Honestly, moments where it's been boring. Boring. And I think there might be people like me today. There might be some like me. You might not be like me, but there may be some in the room like me. So I, I thought, when I was trying to think about how do I re-engineer the way I see prayer and experience it, because there felt like a big disconnect between something I thought was really important and what was actually happening in my life. So I want to help you be very honest about your life and your connection with God and prayer in your life. So can you be honest just for a moment? You don't have to say anything out loud. So no one's going to get embarrassed. So here, here's the question I want to ask you today. Is prayer important to you? Is prayer important to you? Oh, lots of yeses. Okay, then let's move to the next questions. So how often do you pray? Oh, that's not to feel guilt, but like this is a really important thing. So how often do you pray? Because this was the disconnect that began to disturb me. Oh, then, then let's move on. Do you find prayer satisfying. I mean, deeply satisfying. Like, you know, when you have that incredible, you've been hungry and you have this incredible meal and you just feel satisfied at the end. Is that what prayer feels like for you? Or do you sense the power of God when you pray? Like, do, do you sense, oh, God's here and God's power all the time every time you pray? Or this was the hardest one for me. Is prayer more of a burden than a pleasure in your life? See, if I was going to be honest about those questions and my journey spiritually intersecting with prayer and my relationship with God, was, is prayer important to me? Yes. I've done it almost every day since I've been a follower of Jesus. It's very important to me. But it's these questions that bother me. Is prayer satisfying? Sometimes. 
Uh, do I sense the power of God when you pray, when I pray? I'm going to be very honest with you. I sense it much more when I'm praying with others than I do by myself. Sometimes when I'm alone and I'm praying by myself, I don't sense the power of God. But in community, I seem to, and that might be part of my personality wiring. This one's a tough one. Is prayer more of a burden or a pleasure? Now, you think about that one, if you're going to honestly reflect on that one. Pleasure are things people have to keep you from. Pleasure is you have to build disciplines to keep it from too much pleasure, right? You know, if you really enjoy your sweets, like I enjoy my sweets because they're pleasurable to me, I have to work really hard not to partake. I've got to say this. Prayer has been way more of a burden than a pleasure to me over the course of my life. In fact, if I'm going to be completely honest, friends, uh, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes, friends, I have felt like no one is listening when I'm talking. Is this too much real talk? Is it a little, little too much, maybe? Maybe I'll tone it down a little bit. How about this? When I pray, sometimes my mind wanders. It starts to go in other places. I'm very focused at other things, but prayer has a way of just like unleashing my mind all over the place. Sometimes, friends, uh, I just start, my prayer life sometimes has been in the past reduced to a list, a grocery list of needs and people. People I said I pray for, dun, 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 dun. things I should pray for, dun, 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 dun. things that I'm aware I need, dun, 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 dun. and I'm just passing God my to-do list. It's not a relationship with God. It's just like, uh, God, you get in on this, you, you, come on, you, you do this stuff. And it turns into that. It kind of boils down to that type of language, that type of relationship. Now, I may be the only one that has ever been disillusioned with prayer, but I don't think I am. I don't think I am. Because I watch how we engage in prayer in Christian community. And I realize that percentage-wise, when we gather to pray, the percentage goes way down. Why? Because I think we all, many people struggle with this. What I struggled with was what happened when I pray to what I read happened in the Bible and the promises that were there. There seemed to be a disconnect. So consequently, I've noticed this in Christian community. Now, this may not be you. Probably not you. Probably some, it's probably someone online watching right now. I don't know. But here, here's the truth. Many Christians get so frustrated with their own prayer life and maybe not seeing things happen as they see them in Scripture, that they begin to delegate their prayer life to others. In other words, they're trying to survive spiritually off other people's prayers. People they think maybe God hears more acutely. People they think that maybe God will respond to more accurately. So they've delegated this whole area of their life. But Here's the question that made me keep driving towards finding out what was going and why there was a disconnect for me. This question, could prayer be the missing piece in your life to experience God's power in you and to experience God's power through you? Could it be the missing piece to connect you emotionally and spiritually to God? And my answer, despite my struggles over the years is emphatically, yes, yes. See, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we read one thing and we experience another. And for many of us, that gap causes us to shut 
down. So here's how I changed. Here's what began to shift my thinking around prayer. Here's what lifted a load of guilt off my back and allowed me to lean in to begin to build a relationship with God around prayer. So the first question I have for you, and this is going to require, again, 100% honest. If I'm going to be honest with you, friends, I'd like you to be honest. Okay, so, so be honest in this moment. Who do you pray to? Who do you pray to? Because chances are the God you pray to might not be the God that's actually in the room with you. Listen, George Buttrick was a chaplain of Harvard University, and he was an interesting chaplain years ago. And his students would come in, some of them would come in, and they're struggling with even believing in God, and they plop them down themselves in the chair in his, in his office, and they'd say this, uh, Chaplain, I don't believe in God. And he'd always smile, and he had such a disarming and engaging way of participating in conversation with them. And they said that we, he would simply say this, Hey, describe the God that you don't believe in. Chances are I don't believe in him either. And he would begin to talk about who Jesus was. And it was so different from the God that they had in their imagination. This is hard to do. I wonder if you could describe the God you pray to. Not the theologically correct God that you know you should be saying. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's just. He's merciful. He's loving. He's faithful. Not the, not the theologically correct God. I mean the God you really do pray to. Not the God intellectually you think I want to hear from you, but the God you really pray to. I wonder what would happen if you're brutally honest. Now, how do you discover the God you pray to? Listen to your own prayers. Now, I began to think about this. Shelley knows uh, we've talked quite often about our own prayer lives because it's so important to us, but it's been a battle. And as I step back and begin to try to figure out what type of God am I praying to? Here's what I came up with. The God I was praying to expected me to do all that I can, then come to him in prayer for the things I couldn't accomplish on my own. You know, kind of like don't come to God unless you've done everything you possibly can. Uh, the God I was praying to was more of a referee and a coach than he was a teammate. The God I was praying to wasn't interested in knowing me. He was interested in me being good improving myself, being successful. My God did little miracles, like helping people get their rent before the end of the month. But the big stuff, like ending systemic poverty, addressing issues of racism or culture, no, 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 that was, that was delegated to humanity to figure out, but my God would take care of the little things like extending rent. My God helped those who helped themselves. My God negotiated with me. You know, if, if you want this, Jonathan, you're going to have to do this, Jonathan. My God was not often happy with me. My God was disappointed in me. So as long as I was praying for other people and not myself, God listened. That was the God for years I would pray to. Low expectations. Not very powerful, looking to catch me doing the wrong things, very displeased with me. A lot of that comes from early experiences, family of origin, all kinds of different things mixed in there. 
And I projected that on God. Now, theologically and teaching-wise, it was the different God I talked about altogether. Because when I took my image of God from prayer and I held it up to the Bible, I couldn't get over how radical the difference was. See, in the Bible, God is described as a loving shepherd who can move mountains. He's described as that. There's countless verses talking about his power and his glory and his miraculous working abilities. And if you read the Bible, which I strongly recommend, there's all of these amazing moments where God's power is on display. He comes alongside people, couples who are, are, are stuck in infertility. And he comes and Abraham prays to God and heals Abimelech, his wife, and they're able to have children together. He comes as the children of God begin to pray. He sees them captured in slavery and he comes and and he rescues them out of slavery. God uses his power to care for grieving parents whose son got sick and died and the prophet Elijah laid on top of that dead body and prayed to God and life came into this boy. Then God uses his power as his people called out on him. The great Assyrian army was coming to destroy them. Hezekiah interceded for the children of God and the armies of God showed up and provided an incredible, miraculous victory. God comes for those who have been falsely imprisoned. Peter's in jail. He's in prison. The church, it says, begins to pray. Guess what happens? Peter's asleep in a cell. And the angel of the Lord shows up, wakes him up, and says, Pete, time to get out of here. Doors open. You're free. The God of Scripture is incredibly powerful. Often the God that we pray to is incredibly impotent and safe. And we keep it there. But God says some pretty amazing things here. He says that that same power is available to those who know him. In fact, you ready for some more radical words from Jesus? Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Man, grab hold of that. In a world where it's hard to find truth, I tell you the truth. If you even have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. So, friends, that's God. That's the God of the Bible. He rescues us from injustices. He heals the sick. We pray to a God that can move mountains in miraculous ways. He can intervene for us if only we would ask him. But that's not all. That's only one side of God. Because it's often we pray to the safe side of God, right? We pray to a God that might be able to help us get a raise at work, but he's not going to heal somebody in our life. God's power is only half the picture, though, in prayer. And this is the problem for some people who have a prayer life. They do it to get power. It's completely the wrong motive. They're using a relational mechanism for their own usefulness. Because he's also a tender, loving shepherd, it says in Scripture. You know what's interesting about shepherds? Shepherds would watch their sheep 24-7. This wasn't a job you checked in nine to five. 24 seven, a shepherd watches over a sheep in those Middle Eastern cultures. In the morning, as he woke, he would guide them to new, fresh grazing grounds so they could have fresh food every day. He led them into their provision. Then he watched over them from predators while they ate. If a predator came, he stood between the predator and the sheep and he would, he would fight off the predator. 
If a sheep was sick, he tended to the, sh- uh, the sick sheep. In fact, if they became lame, as they would sometimes, as they got into thickets and, and uh, fell into holes, they would damage themselves. The shepherds were known to carry their sheep for kilometers from grazing place to grazing place until their leg was healed. When they had baby sheep, baby lambs, there it is, they, they, the shepherd would be there. The shepherd cared for the sheep 24-7. And God says, that's me with you. That's how I am with you. Intimately, tenderly involved in your life. That's why when God says, when you pray, I will listen. If you will look to me wholeheartedly, you will find me. See, the God of Scripture that we pray to is a God that is described as being a tender, loving shepherd who can move mountains. Who can move mountains? The problem with our prayer life is often who we're praying to. God is not some impersonal force. God is a tender, loving shepherd. He's interested not just in our mountains, he's interested in our molehills too. The big and the small in our life. See, if there was one headline for the Bible, it would be this. God wants you. He wants you. And prayer is that mechanism, that tool that God has that we can connect with him freely without anybody else coming between us. I don't know if you grew up in grade school and you pass a note to somebody to give to a cute girl on the other side of the class because you couldn't give it to her yourself. So you needed, a, you, needed an arbit- you needed somebody in between you just to buffer the rejection if it should happen. And sometimes religion creates those barriers between us and God, but prayer is this mechanism that says, God says, no one between you and me, I want you. I want you. So who do you pray to? Have you made him really small? Have you been distracted? Have you you allowed your upbringing to inform your relationship with God? Then the second one is simply this. I had to ask myself, what do I say to him? What do I say to him? Now, many people take one of two paths here. Pastor Keith will get into this next week. Some people begin to say, okay, if I'm going to pray, I need a new formal spiritual vocabulary. You know, you've heard other people pray, and there's certain spiritual words, and there's a new vocabulary you need. So they begin to try to fumble them well, or they'll usually shut down because they're saying, listen, I don't even know what half those words mean. And so they, again, delegate prayer to somebody else to do for them. But this is what we need to remember. If it's a relational connection to God, God's not looking for some rehearsed version of you. He wants you. Straight up you. Other people, they don't know what to pray. So you receive this card on the way in. Can you take it out? If you're online, go to onechurch.to slash prayer card, and you can get your copy there. On the front, three different versions of the Lord's Prayer. On the back, there are numerous prayers here in Scripture. I thought maybe if you've never prayed before, this might help you get started in it. Even if you're a veteran of prayer, this might help you stay focused in it. You know, some of these prayers are found in the book of Psalms. For centuries, uh, Christians have gone back to that book because it's such an unfiltered prayer book. Sing things like this. I love the top prayer right there in the back of your card. Have mercy on me. How many times have I had to pray this? Oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. I always think of that prayer. Is that's my time to kind of take the load off my shoulders and put it on God. God forgive me. 
Uh, there's one prayer I didn't put in here, but you can find any prayer in the book of Psalms. There's a prayer of vengeance. Have you ever been angry at someone that much? Listen to this prayer. This guy must have been really angry. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Let them vanish like water that flows away. This is my favorite part. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. Friends, have you ever been so mad at someone? You said, God, make them a slug so that they can just melt away on the hot pavement as they go along. And why is that even in here? Because I think God is showing us something here. There is nothing you can't bring to him in prayer. It may feel silly. It might be a small irritant. It might be something big in your life. If it's important to you, it's important to him. There's nothing you can't pray for. God wants you. He wants the authentic, real you. He's not looking for a dressed-up version of you. He's not looking for you to sound and look like someone sitting next to you. He wants you. So in the Bible, there are four areas that most of the prayers all land under. Four areas that help maybe provide a framework. If you're starting to learn how to pray, you want to know what to pray about, there's four areas in the Bible that most of the prayers fall under. The first one is simply this, adoration. Adoration. It's just, tell God he's pretty awesome. Now, is that because God needs it? No. Because you're in a relationship, this is appropriate in any relationship you're in. If you're married today, a little adoration goes a long way. It's every once in a while pausing and saying, listen, you're amazing. You're amazing. She might not need to hear that, but everybody needs to hear that. Or as a friend, like, amen, I've got to say, I'm glad you're my friend. You're a pretty incredible guy. It's saying something awesome. To, and adoration, a lot of the Bible, uh, prayers in the scripture are adoration towards God. Why? Because we're in a relationship with God. God, you're pretty amazing. You're pretty amazing. You're pretty powerful. You're pretty incredible. It's a relationship. So adoration is the first one. Confession is the next one. This is where we kind of say, God, these are the things that I'm feeling guilty about, I'm feeling wrong about, and I'm asking your forgiveness. And the Bible says he will consistently forgive us. Now, a little aside, confession is the beginning of what I might call repentance, the Bible describes. Repentance is when I'm doing this all the time, and I confess I need grace, and I get grace and I decide I'm going to walk in a different direction now. So repentance is a change in behavior. Confession is that moment where we recognize our behaviors, our words, our actions have hurt others, hurt ourselves, or hurt our relationship with God. So we confess it. So adoration, confession, then thanksgiving. I love thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is this idea that you are a loving shepherd. You're probably doing so many amazing things for me that I am blissfully unaware of. I think about that all the time. How many times has God protected me driving on the road somewhere and I just take it for granted? Every, how many times does my debit card go, say, approved when I tap it? And I take it for granted every time. But there's this moment where you recognize and you say, listen, Thanksgiving is saying, God, you do all these amazing things. I don't even see them. So I'm going to thank you for the things I do see. I'm going to thank you for the moments I notice you are doing things. I'm going to look for that. Then the last one is supply. Ask God to move mountains. Ask him to remove molehills. Ask him if it's burdening you, if it's impeding you, if it's stopping you, 
If it's worrying you, ask. How many of us have not received because we do not ask? Ask him, supplying in those moments. Now, you could be here or online, you might say, listen, I don't even believe in a tender, loving shepherd who can move mountains. So what do you want me to do with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supply? You know what? If that's you, friend, forget this. Here's a prayer for you, though. My prayer would be, I would just encourage you to say this, God, I don't know if you even exist, but if you do, would you come close to me? If you do, would you open my heart to you? Because I don't know about you, and maybe I'm a little too logical or rational in my approach to this. If there was a God in the universe who created everything, wouldn't you want to know him? If there was an eternal being that had eternity at his center, and those who are in relationship with him know what it is to live forever, wouldn't you want to kind of be connected to him? If there's not, no worries. You just wasted a few words. That's all. You wasted a ton of words anyways already. I would encourage you to pray that simple prayer because God wants you exactly where you at, the authentic, the real you. So we're almost done here. Next question, this helped me transform my prayer life, is when and where do I say things to God? In the Bible, it's interesting when you begin to study how people prayed. Some people prayed, especially in the older parts of the Bible, people would pray lying out on the floor, prostrate on the floor. And it was because they were showing reverence to God. God, you are here, we are there. God, you are here, we are there. And then in other parts of the Bible, people are on their knees praying. And then Jesus showed up. And in Jesus' day, people would pray standing with their eyes open to heaven. They would pray like that. Almost the opposite of we do today when we bow our heads and close our eyes. Mary, the mother of Jesus, prayed with poetry. The early Christians recited written prayers. Why do I tell you all of that? What you need to remember, friends, is prayer is not the goal. This is what used to hang me up when it came to developing my own prayer life, is I thought it was always about, I gotta pray, I gotta pray, I gotta pray. Prayer's not the goal, God is the goal. Connecting to him is the goal. It's like this, I've been married 25 years. Wow, 25 years, woo. Well, you know, uh, yeah, that wasn't for that, but here's what I learned along the way. There's some things called relational hygiene that if you practice it, you can stay connected. You need to do some things that keep you connected because naturally, as two uh, autonomous human beings, you aren't naturally staying connected. There are things like you should talk, you should connect, you should do nice things for each other, you should remember her birthday. <laughs> there are things that are kind of key that help maintain the relationship. The goal isn't those things. The goal isn't to remember a birthday. The goal is not to remember to talk. The goal is Shelly. I want to be in a strong relationship with her. So, so there's things that I can do that can keep us connected, can contribute to that connection. Prayer is not the goal. It's not praying more. It's connecting more. It's wanting God. It's a relational connection. And that's why you pray with your personality. You're not a mistake. Some of you are people of few words, and that's okay. Some of you, you have more words. You can make up words that they don't have, and that's okay. Some of us 
uh, feel things deeply. Some of us uh, don't feel things so deeply. Pray your personality because God wants you. God wants you the way you are. You don't have to sound like someone else. You don't have to echo somebody else's prayer. Instead, you pray your personality. You know, when I think in the Bible, there's two main characters that in the New Testament, a man named Peter and a man named Paul, and there are very different personalities. Paul was incredibly disciplined. When it came to praying every day, that would be no problem for Paul. Paul made a decision to do something, and he did it. And he didn't falter. If you know his narrative, this was an incredibly highly disciplined, mechanized man. Peter, on the other hand, he did what he felt. Got him in trouble sometimes, but he was a different personality altogether. If Peter was trying to be Paul, he'd fail miserably. If Paul was trying to be Peter, he'd be a mess. All right, friends, I'm not justifying brokenness in our life, but I'm saying this, you got to be you because that's what God is looking for in a relationship with you. So some, some guidelines that I've used that changed the way I prayed helped me to get traction in my prayer life and has helped me to stay focused amidst the frustration I have felt at pockets of my life is this. I've learned to pray on the go and stay at home prayers. You know what those are? If you're a fixer in this room, if you were here last week and you learned there's a fixers and feelers in life, you learned that last week. If you're a fixer, you're probably good at on the go prayer. An on-the-go prayer is like a text message. It's kind of like, you know, as I walk through my day, I thank you, God, for this food. Uh, God, help me with this meeting. God, uh, I said I'd pray for this person. I'll pray for them right now. It's on the go. I'm fixing. I'm moving. I'm quick. It's fast. Stay-at-home prayer is like a phone call. Some of you who are fixers, already you're feeling like, oh, phone calls. You remember them? You had to talk to people. You know, it took forever because you have to go through the polite things like, hi, how are you today? How's it going? Where you rather send the email, get their voicemail actually, so you can text them back. So you don't have to bother with all of the, uh, maybe this is, I'm talking to somebody else here, but, but some of us feel those ways in life because I would lean more on the on the go. I've never struggled with on the go prayers. It's in my nature. I, I, and it's authentic. It, it comes as I'm going into a meeting. I start praying for the people I'm going to meet in with. I, it's an on-the-go prayer life, but I've struggled with this my entire life, stay-at-home prayer life, because it's intimate. It requires me listening to God. It's those moments where we have a prolonged conversation with God, and then I'll sit and I'll say, God, is there something you'd like to say? I've never heard his audible voice, but God has spoken to me many times. Not many times in this moment, but many times in this. If you're a feeler, chances are you're pretty good at this because you value relationships so much and you, you want to connect to God and you want to feel like you felt his presence today. But you may need to grow in this, including God throughout your day in prayer. If you're a fixer, you're probably pretty good at this. But you need to grow in this intimacy with God, connecting with him in conversation sometimes prolonged conversation. So balance these, recognize where your strength is and begin to recognize the value in the other. Here's the second one, this. Manage your expectations, this is huge. This is huge, because prayer is a very intimate but over-romanticized relationship. So have you ever been around, now some people will talk about prayer in these terms, and I'm not delegitimizing what they might feel in those moments, but some people talk like every time they pray with God, they hear him. They hear him. God always does what they ask. 
They always sense the power of God. It's never boring. It's exciting. And sometimes we hear that version of prayer and we're just like, wow, why do I even bother? Can you just do my praying for me? Because sometimes we over-romanticize it. Now, I don't think people do that on purpose. People do that a lot like, okay, so I told you, it's our tw- we've been married over 25 years. If this was the 25th anniversary party and I was going to talk about my wife, you know I'm giving the highlight package, right? I'm going to give you our best moments. I'm going to tell you about she's my best friend. She loves me. I love her. She pursued me for years. I'm going to have the best version I can. You know, whatever it looks like. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that because it's appropriate at a 25th anniversary party. I'm not going to drag out all our worst moments. I'm going to give you the highlight package. But if that's all you hear from me is the highlight package, you're going to be sitting there thinking like, wow, our marriage sucks. Or, or you're going to be thinking like, oh, you hear the highlight package and you're singing, you're thinking, that's what I need. We just need to get married and everything will get better because every marriage person knows that, right? Everything gets better when you're married, right? Everything that's wrong gets amplified when you're married. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Because, you know, it's appropriate in that context. And sometimes as people talk about prayer, it's over-romanticized because they're talking about the highlight package. And I get that. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Just don't take that over-romanticized thing and put it against your prayer life, or you'll lose every time. See, even the best marriages have seasons of disappointment. Even the best marriages have distractions. Even the best marriages have seasons of dissatisfaction. And the truth is, friends, you'll be praying and you're going to feel moments of not feeling very satisfied. Why? Because it's a relationship with God. And you're going to feel all relationships are the same. I remember being on my honeymoon with Shelley, and we got in this epic argument. I mean, we should be euphorically in love, right? Euphorically in love. And here we are fighting. I'm sure she couldn't. I don't know who started it. Probably her. But, you know, and, and we're in this epic uh, uh, fight. And, and, you know, we're supposed to be euphorically in love. What's wrong with us? Well, nothing. It's a relationship. Relationships have incredible highs and very low lows. You have moments where you feel super connected and super in love. And moments where you feel like more like roommates than romancers. That's normal. That's to be in relationship with people. And so it is to be in relationship with God. Your prayer life will have incredible highs. I hope that for you. It'll have some low lows where you feel like you're talking to the ceiling and nobody's listening. And that's in those moments you got to remember what Jesus said. He says, if you're talking, I am listening. But I don't feel like you're listening. I don't care what you feel. I'm telling you, I hear you. God, that's why truth is so important, and our feelings can often lead us astray. So don't over manage your expectations. Here, we're almost done. Have a routine time when you pray. If it doesn't happen, now, the on-the-go prayers work easy for me. The stay-at-home prayers are harder. So usually the stay-at-home prayers, I have to be walking, or it has to be in the morning. Otherwise, I'm too easily distracted. I'm more Peter than Paul when it comes to that. And so you need a routine time. And when you set a routine time of when you're going to listen to God, pray, it could be on your commute in the morning, could be when you get in the shower and that's your signal. As soon as the water starts, you start praying to God and you listen. Whatever it looks like for you, you find a routine and habit. And then what you do is you show up for your appointment. Pastor Keith has said to our staff for years here, the most important appointment of your day 
is with God. And if you're struggling to show up for that appointment, change your routine. It's not working for you. Change your routine. Uh, then here's the last one, or uh, second to last, really quick. Limit distractions. Now, you might be this intensely focused person, and I admire you already. All I know is, if this thing is on, or if there's a computer around me where it's open, and you know, when I'm in prayer, I think, you know, there, there might have been a YouTube video that would help me in this moment. And by the time I'm done, I'm watching dancing dogs on a stage somewhere, playing with children. Like, it's amazing where you can go and how my mind can wander. So I have to help myself win with prayer. So how I help myself is I limit distractions. When I'm with groups, I'm incredibly focused when it's prayer. When I'm by myself, I can be incredibly distracted. So I set myself up to win in that moment. Here's the last one. Persevere. Persevere. There's never a wasted prayer. God, ne there's never a moment you prayed that God didn't hear you. There's never a wasted moment. And I love our declaration that came out of our New Year's Eve gathering. That even when you pray, you need to remember this. Something happened that would not have happened had you not prayed. Something happened. In fact, why don't we say that declaration together? I think we might have a couple of guest services, those declaration, daily declaration cards. I have them taped up in my bathroom because every day I look at that and I read those daily declarations over my life. And man, I don't know if you're doing that right now. You feel the momentum spiritually as you're replacing some of the old patterns of thinking with right truth. So I would love it if we could say this together. I know you're right with me. So I'm going to count down. Three, two, one, go. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. I'm confident every time I pray, something happens that otherwise would not have happened. I think we should say this one more time. So we rivet it in our souls. In a moment, we're going to sing, but let's, let's say this one more time. I'm confident every time I pray, something happens that otherwise would not have happened. Friends, let's pray. God, the way you frame prayer and scripture reminds us this is not about the vehicle. It is about the destination. And prayer is meant to connect us to you and you to us. God, thank you that you take us as we are. Where would any of us be in this room or online if you didn't take us as we were? We come to you flawed and broken. Some of us beat up. Some of us even blind to some of the areas in our life that are distorting and destroying us. And God, you welcome us. You welcome sinners into your presence. You welcome broken people in your presence. You welcome people nobody else welcomed. So God, you welcome us into relationship with you. God, I ask for me, and I'm sure there's friends in, my, in this room that feel the same way. I ask for forgiveness, God, for the times that I have prayed to the wrong God. <laughs> I mean, I prayed in your name, Jesus. But I prayed to a more impotent version of you, a less caring version of you, a less loving version of you. And God, I say, forgive me and help me to see you as you truly are, 
a tender, loving shepherd, attentive, involved in my life, who is able to move mountains. God, I pray, Lord, that over the course of these weeks, you'd stir us up in our hearts to ask. So I invite you, friends, in this moment, is there a mountain you're facing? And maybe you're going to discount it right away because you're saying, well, this is nothing compared to, and you insert somebody else's name and their need. But it might be a molehill, but it doesn't matter to God. If it bothers you, it bothers him. If it bothers you, why don't you ask him? So in this moment, think of that mountain. Think of that thing that needs to change. Think of that person that needs to be healed. Think of that big thing that needs to, if, if only this could. And Jesus, we bring our mountains to you today. We, we bring those molehills. We bring those irritants, those destructive patterns in our life. We bring, we bring all of that stuff to you, God. And we ask that our tender, loving shepherd who can move mountains, God, would you move the mountain? God, would you remove the mountain? And Lord, even in this context, we remember to say thank you also for the times that you didn't answer the prayers the way we wanted them to be answered. Because as we look over our shoulder, there are moments where now with hindsight, we say, thank God you didn't give us what we asked. God, we recognize that your ways are higher than ours. And we pray, God, that you would help us to trust you as we give you the mountains and the molehills and the sin and the garbage in our lives. And you give us your grace and your peace. God, you want us. We declare with our mouths today, we want you. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.